All right. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to week four in a series that we've been journeying through that's called You Are Here. And uh, like Clark mentioned just a second ago, if you're a guest with us today, if it's your first time out to Grace, man, we just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being here. And uh, we know that walking into a church for the first time, if you don't know anyone and it's a new experience, that could actually be pretty kind of a scary thing. So uh, thanks for your courage. Thanks for coming to church this morning and thanks for being here. And we hope you feel welcome. But if you are new and you are a guest, uh, um, let me kind of catch you up to speed with uh, what we've been talking about uh, here in this series. So in this series, uh, you are here, we're actually doing something that's a little advantageous. And what we're trying to do in this series is we're trying to orient all of us to a big picture overview of the Bible. And so really in this series, what we're doing is we're, we're actually just trying to go through sort of the entire Bible uh, over the course of the weeks that we're doing this series. And the reason that we're, we're doing this, we said, is, uh, is really because of this. And if you were here the past couple of weeks, you might remember, we said the reason we're doing this is because probably for all of us in this room, I guess every single one of us, we're probably all somewhat familiar with Bible stories, right? So whether you're a person that grew up in church or you didn't grow up in church or whether you're a Christian or you're a person that's investigating Jesus, my guess is that all of us, even if it's just vaguely, even if you're not a Bible person, we're all somewhat familiar with the fact that there's stories in the Bible, right? And so maybe you've heard of uh, the story of David and Goliath, or you've heard of the, you know, the story of Noah and, you know, the ark, and you've heard these stories before. But here's what we said. We said, as many of us are familiar with Bible stories, we said there's probably far less of us that are familiar with the Bible story, uh, the singular story of the Bible. In fact, here's what we said. We said that to understand the Bible as just like a collection of a bunch of really not related stories, each with its own plot line, each with its own moral, each with its own hero, we said that's actually not the best way to understand the Bible. We said actually a better way to understand the Bible is that it's one unified, consistent story from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that the Bible is really following one plot line, that there's one meta-narrative of the Bible, and it's actually trying to show us and introduce us to one hero. And so we said, quite honestly, for many of us, we might not be familiar with that story. What is the big story of the Bible? And so in this series, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help us kind of get a picture of uh, what, is, what is the big picture of the Bible. Each week, one of the things we've been doing is we've been pointing you back to a roadmap. And so you might remember the first week we looked at this. We've looked at it every week since. And we basically said, hey, if you want a big picture of the Bible, right here, this roadmap is actually a pretty helpful way to think of it. You could actually summarize the story of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation in 10 pretty simple phrases or mile markers, if you want to think about it that way. And here's what we said. We said the story of the Bible is basically this. It is that God creates, we rebel. God promises, we wander. God builds, we destroy. The Father sends, the Son rescues, the Spirit indwells, and God reigns. And so we said, there you kind of have it. If you're looking for what is the big picture overview, we said that is a pretty simple way to understand the whole Bible. And through this series, we actually have a few goals. There's actually three goals that we have. And here's number one. Our number one goal is that by the end of this series, everyone who's in this room will know this. We want you to know it. We want you to know this story, be familiar with it. But not only that, we said our second goal is we also want to invite everyone to live it that this is not just about information. This series is also about transformation. And we're actually inviting you to live out this story. Here's what we said. We said, when we orient ourselves, when we rightly orient ourselves to this story, and when we locate ourselves within it, 
We said that this right here has the potential to absolutely transform the way we view ourselves, the way we view others, and the way that we view the world that we live in. So we wanna know this, we wanna live it, and then here's the third thing. We said in this series, we wanna give it away. We wanna give it away. And so we said, especially for those of us who follow Jesus, by the end of this series, we want to equip you to be able to share this with other people, that you would be able to pass this story down to the next generation, pass this down to your kids, if you have kids, talk about this with your coworkers, with your friends, with your neighbors, with the people, the students that are in the classes that you're in, wanna equip us to know it, to live it, and to give it away. And so each week, uh, we're actually kind of focusing on each one of these mile markers and talking about it. So a couple weeks ago, uh, if you were here, we talked about God creates. And if you were here, we actually talked about This is where our story begins. And we looked back at the first couple of uh, chapters in the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. We talked about the beginning, the origin story of us and all of creation. And then last week, if you were here, you might remember we talked about the next part, which is we rebel. God creates and we rebel. And we were introduced to uh, what went wrong in the world. What's the matter with the world that we live in? And the Bible's gonna give an answer to that and it's gonna say human rebellion, human sin is ultimately what's the matter with the world that we live in. Well, today what we're gonna do is we're gonna zoom in and we're gonna talk about this third thing. And the third thing we're gonna talk about is God promises, God promises. And so we talked about God creates, we talked about God rebels. And by the way, if you miss those talks, you can always go back to our website, um, our podcast, you can catch those things online or or in other places, all that's for free. Uh, But this week, we're gonna focus in on this next part, which is God promises. So God creates, we rebel, and then here's the next one is God promises. And so for us to talk about this and where we see this in the Bible story, I wanna invite you to grab your Bible. Why don't you go ahead and open it up with me this morning, and uh, why don't you join me in Genesis chapter 12. So I'm gonna have you turn with me to Genesis chapter 12 as we talk about this idea of God promises. By the way, that's gonna be found on page eight uh, in those Bibles under the chairs. So if you didn't bring a Bible, not a problem, just grab one of those. And then if you don't own a Bible, not a problem, just take one of those. We'd love for you to have a Bible. You can, you can take that. So Genesis 12 is where we're gonna go, page eight. Now, hopefully you get there pretty quick, uh, but let me just say, as you're finding Genesis chapter 12, let me just quickly summarize what happens between Genesis 3 and Genesis 12, because last week we were going to Genesis 3, this week we're in Genesis chapter 12. So basically what we see in Genesis 3 to 12 is we see the effects and the dysfunctions and the brokenness that sin and human rebellion causes. So Genesis 3 to Genesis 11 are some of the bleakest chapters in the Bible. Uh, You see incredible brokenness, you see incredible dysfunction, all as a result of humanity's rebellion against God. By the time you get to Genesis 12, we're gonna see something really fascinating happen. And what's gonna happen is that it is going, Genesis is going to zoom way in, and it's gonna zoom in, in particular, to one guy. And what we're gonna see in Genesis chapter 12 is we are gonna be introduced to a very, very important person, and we are going to be introduced to a very, very important promise that God makes this person. So in Genesis 12, we're gonna be introduced to a guy named Abraham, guy named Abraham, and we're gonna be introduced to a promise that God makes to Abraham. This is sometimes called a covenant, or it's referred to uh, by theologians as something called the Abrahamic covenant covenant. So today, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Abrahamic covenant. Now, before we talk about this, I know what some of you might be thinking right now, because you're here and it is, you know, Sunday morning and there's a lot of different things you could be doing and you probably have your afternoon all planned out. And my guess is that when I say today, we're going to be talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Some of you might have this question go through your mind right now, and it might be this question. 
Who cares? Who cares? Why in the world are we going to take the next whatever amount of time that we're going to take to talk about some old story, about some old dude that's found in the Old Testament, right? And some of you might be thinking, man, come on, I have, I have real problems going on in my life. There are real things that are happening. And so why are we going to talk about some abstract, old theological concept like the Abrahamic covenant. And so let me just say um, that if you're, if you're thinking that, or if you're kind of like, who cares? My hope is that by the end of today's talk, that you will see that this story is not irrelevant to your life. That actually the story of Abraham, even though it's old, right? So this, this story, this account that we're going to read is about 4,000 years old, that it is deeply, deeply relevant to you and I, to understanding not only humanity, but also understanding ourselves. And really, it's gonna, I think we're gonna see that it's relevant to us today in really, really powerful ways. And so my hope is by the end of the time uh, that we're done that you're gonna see that. I, I want you to know something about this guy, Abraham, all right? This guy and this promise are of immense importance to us today. In fact, did you know that back in 2002 on Time Magazine, they featured on the cover of the magazine, uh, Abraham. They had a whole article about him. Now, that's not an actual photo of Abraham. Uh, but this, this story, basically what it talks about is it talks about how it is impossible for us to, us to fully understand humanity without understanding this guy, Abraham. Did you know that there are three major world religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, that look to this guy as the father of their faith. Now that, you think about that, that is the majority of the world's population. And so if you think it's, you think it's possible to understand civilization without understanding this guy, it's, you can't. Um, the, the, the bulk of the majority of humanity throughout human history would look back at Abraham as a key forefather to them and to their faith. And so it's important to understand him. And so not only is Abraham understanding his story important to human history, I also want you to know that it is important to understanding the Bible, understanding the Bible. In fact, the passage we're about to read in Genesis chapter 12, more specifically Genesis 12, one to three, which is where we're gonna focus some of our attention today. This may be, Genesis 12, one to three, may be one of the most important passages of the entire Bible to understand the Bible. So I want you to hear me say that. This passage is one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. And listen, I understand I'm a preacher and I like say that every week, right? So every week we open the Bible and I'm like, this guy's right here is one of the most important passages in the Bible. But I just want you to understand, I say that because I'm passionate and I'm excited, but this week I really mean it. Like I really mean it. All the other weeks I was lying. And this week, I'm not. This, this passage right here is so critical to understanding the rest of the Bible. I remember when I was in seminary. Uh, seminary is like a Bible school, by the way. I remember when I was in seminary, a professor of mine wrote down Genesis 12, 1 to 3 on the board. And then he said, you can hardly go a chapter through the Bible without finding some reference or some allusion to this man and to this promise in this passage. And I remember he said that, and I thought, nah, that's an exaggeration. That's probably not true. But then I, after, after he said that, I'm telling you, he was absolutely right. It is, it is very difficult for you to understand both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible without understanding what happens right here in this passage. This is pivotal. And so we wanna spend some time talking about it. So without further ado, let's jump in. Genesis 12, we'll start off in verse one. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. 
All right, so let's just go ahead and pause there. Let's pick this apart a little bit. Notice first and foremost, uh, the Bible tells us about this guy, Abram, this guy, Abram. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, now, wait a minute. I thought you said his name was Abraham. And, uh, and technically uh, his name is Abraham. He will be called Abraham later. Uh, it's not until Genesis chapter 17, God is gonna change his name from Abram to Abraham. And why does God change his name? Well, we're gonna talk about this here in a minute, but uh, just so you kind of understand, the name Abram that Abraham is called here, uh, that actually comes from a Hebrew word, which means father. And then Abraham, what God is gonna change his name to, uh, comes from two Hebrew words, which means father of many. So basically what you're gonna find out is that Abram uh, means daddy, uh, and Abraham uh, basically means big daddy, okay? So God, God is gonna change his name, he's gonna call him big daddy, but right now when we first meet him, He's just daddy, all right? So, so check this out. The Bible says the Lord comes to Abram. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This is really important. This is the first time, the first time Abram has any interaction with God at all, okay? This is their first meeting. And I want you to notice that in this first interaction without any previous interactions before this, notice what God says to him. God comes to Abram. Somehow he appears to him. We don't know how. And he looks at Abraham and he says, go, from your country, from your people, and from your father's household to the land that I will show you. And so what does God tell Abram in his first meeting with him? God appears to Abram, and his first thing is he says to Abram, go. I want you to go. Now, some of you have um, some different translations, and if you have the King James Version, I actually really like the way the King James Version puts it. It says, get thee out. And so that's what God tells Abram. First meeting, he says, Abram, get out, get thee out. And it literally means depart. It means go, it means leave, is what God tells Abram to do. And what's so fascinating is, do you notice the extent to which God is telling Abram to leave? He says, I want you to go, where? He says, I want you to go from your country, from your country. In other words, what that means is go from the land of your birth. That basically means leave your culture, it means leave that which you're familiar with. I want you to go. So he says, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your people. That would basically be your family, your family. Now, I know for us, when we hear that God was telling Abraham to leave his family, that seems kind of shocking to us. Um, but let me just tell you, it would have been even more shocking to them back in this time. You know, in our culture today, it's not abnormal for a person to leave their immediate family to pursue a company or a career on the other side of the country. That's not abnormal at all. Let me tell you, back in this time, people didn't leave their family. It never happened. And so God says, I want you to leave. I want you to leave your country and your culture. I want you to leave your immediate family and I want you to leave your father's household. So back in this time, uh, families lived under the same roof for the whole duration of their life. This was a, a form of protection. It was a form of provision. And so basically, what do you see here? What do you see here? God's first interaction with Abram. They have no previous interaction before this. God's first interaction to him is he says, Abram, leave. Leave what? Leave everything. I want you to leave everything. Leave everything you're comfortable with. Leave everything that you find security in. I want you to leave it all. And then I want you to notice the next thing. This is maybe the most difficult part for us in what, Abram, or what God tells Abram to do. He says, I want you to leave all of this and I want you to go to the land that I'm gonna show you. So here's the crazy thing. God never tells him where he's going. God says, I just want you to go. I want you to leave all. Where are we going? I'm not telling you. I'm just gonna show you. You just get up and start going. 
And, and here is this crazy thing that God asks Abram to do. I just want you to get up and I want you to go. I want you to trust me. So while God never tells Abram any of the details, I want you to notice what God does tell Abram. He goes on to say this next thing in verse two. He says, if you go, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I'm gonna make your name great and you're gonna be a blessing. I'm gonna bless those who bless you and I'm gonna curse those who curse you and all the peoples on earth are gonna be blessed through you is what he tells him. Now this right here is pretty amazing because I want you to notice in this passage, God looks at Abram, he says, I want you to get up and go. I want you to leave to the place that I'm gonna tell you, uproot from everything and I'll show you where we're going when we get there. And then God tells Abram, and if you do this, if you do this, here's what I'm gonna do. And I want you to notice, do you notice that from verse two to verse three, do you notice how many times God says, I will? Abram, if you go, I will. Five times God says, I will. Abram, if you go, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then do you notice how many times God uses the word bless? Five times. He says, Abram, if you go, if you go, and I'm not telling you where we're going, but if you do, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will bless, bless, bless. I will make you into a blessing and through you, I'm gonna bless the whole world. And basically what happens here is God looks at Abram and he says, dude, if you'll go, then I'm gonna make a promise to you. And if you'll step out and if you'll choose to trust me, then here's my promise, that not only am I going to make you a recipient of my blessing, not only are you going to gain my favor, he says, but I'm actually gonna make you into a conduit of blessing, and through you, I am going to bless the entire world. This is what God tells Abram. This is a huge promise that he makes. What's interesting is when you look at verses one, two, and three of Genesis 12, you will see that there are three aspects to what God is promising Abram here. And what are those? Well, first off, you'll notice in this promise that he's making, these promises, God first promises to Abram that he's gonna give him great land. You see that in verse one. He says, get up and go, and I will give you a land. I will give you a land. Where's it gonna be? I'm not telling you, but this is the promise that I'm giving you. I will give you land. And then the second thing he promises him, you see it in verse two, is he says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna give you a great land and I'm gonna make you into a great nation. Now, by the way, when it says nation, what that means is people group. He's basically saying, Abram, I'm gonna give you so many descendants. You're gonna have so many uh, ancestors that come from, or, uh, uh, you're gonna have so many children that come from you that I am going to make you into an entire nation. And then God says, the third thing, is he promises Abraham, I'm gonna make you into a great blessing. Not only am I gonna bless you greatly, not only are you gonna be a container of my blessing, but you're gonna be a conduit of it. My blessing is gonna flow into you and it's gonna flow through you and through you and through your lineage, I am going to bless the entire world. Now, this is the promise that God makes to Abraham and this is what is oftentimes the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. Now, you'll probably notice in the passage that we read, it doesn't use the word covenant, but I wanna tell you that throughout the rest of the book of Genesis and throughout the rest of the Bible, it's gonna tell us that what God says right here is the covenant that he made with Abraham. Now, here's the problem, all right? The problem is this. The word covenant to us is just not a word that we use in our everyday language. Like, when's the last time you were talking to someone and you just used the word covenant? Like, when's the last time? When's the last time you talked to someone? You're like, you know, I'm thinking that maybe next Friday we should go out for a movie. Should we make a covenant about it? 
Like, no one does that. It's creepy, it's cultish, it's weird. You'll have no friends if you say things like that, right? So we don't use it. It's a weird word, and honestly, it's kind of an archaic word. And yet, what I want you to understand is that it's very difficult for you to understand how God wants to relate with us without understanding the term covenant. It is used all throughout Scripture to describe what our relationship with God is like. God is making a covenant. So what is a covenant? Well, let me give you a definition. A biblical covenant is a formal relational partnership. So it's formal, it's legal, but it's also relational. It's highly relational. It is a formal relational partnership to accomplish a goal. In modern vernacular, we would say it's a contract or it's a promise. And so for us, when we think about a contract or we think about a promise, uh, to some extent, that's what a covenant is. But in the Bible, there's a much stronger relational focus to it. In fact, there's only one, I think, only one human institution that still exists today where we still in our culture use the term covenant sometimes. And what is that? Where is that? Tell me. Marriage, right? So marriage is the only place where even now only sometimes we'll use the word covenant. But I think a marriage is probably one of the best pictures of what a covenant is because it's both legal and highly relational, right? It's both. So like, just think about marriage for a second. Like, let's say you were gonna get married and you came to me and you were like, Tony, I'm gonna get married. And I was wondering, will you marry me? I'd be like, look, I'm flattered, but I'm already taken. Um, No, what I would say is, you want me to officiate your wedding? Sure. And if we talked about it and all those kind of things. And what would happen in that ceremony? Well, here's what would happen. At some point, at some point in that ceremony, I would have you, I would have you state a covenant before God and before your friends and before the person that you're gonna enter in the marriage, what would you do? And what would you say? I would have you say this. I'd have you look at the person and you'd repeat after me and you would say, I, so-and-so, take you, such-and-such, to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold, and then you would say this. From this day forward, in sickness and health, for richer, for poorer, right, that whole thing, till death do us part, and you would do that. And what are you doing? You are binding yourself to that person and you are making a declaration of, I am in this. I am am swearing to you and to God and to the people that are here that I am going to bind myself in relationship to you. And let me just tell you that this is exactly what God is doing here. God is making a covenant. It's highly relational. It's also highly formal. And God is, listen, God is saying, from this point forward, Abram, this is what I will do. And this is what I want you to understand is that from this point forward in the Bible, it is this promise that is gonna drive the Bible story forward. And you're gonna see in times of better and worse, in sickness and health, in rich and poor, in times of sin and brokenness, what is gonna continue the Bible story moving forward? It is this promise that God makes to this dude, Abraham, that we're gonna see right here. I'm telling you, this promise, this promise is immense. It's absolutely immense especially in light of the circumstances that Abraham finds himself in right now. Because there's something interesting. When you look at Abraham's story, you're gonna find that God makes these promises to him. He says, I'm gonna give you land. I'm gonna make you into a nation. You're gonna have all these, all these kids. And then I'm gonna make you into a blessing. I'm gonna, through you, through your lineage, I'm gonna bless the entire world. And what's so amazing about that promise is that Abraham's circumstances couldn't be further from what God is promising him. So here's what you're gonna find out about Abraham when you read his story. First off, one of the things we're gonna learn is that Abram is an idol worshiper, okay? So when he first meets God, I just want you to understand this. When he first meets God, he is not a God follower. He's not. Abraham wasn't a church kid. Abraham didn't grow up knowing God. 
The Bible, doesn't, the Bible tells us that Abram was an idol worshiper. This is actually told to us in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. It says that Abraham and his family worshiped false gods. Most likely, they would have worshiped the moon gods. And so he wasn't a church kid. He had no religious upbringing. And yet God comes to him. He says, I want you to go. I'm calling you to go. The other thing we know about Abram, the Bible's going to tell us, is that him and his wife, Sarah, they're unable to have kids. They're barren. And so if you look back at chapter 11, verse 30, it's going to say that Abraham and his wife, Sarai, were unable to have children. And so the Bible's going to say they're barren. And then on top of that, Abram and his wife are old. Do you know how old Abraham is when God first appears to him the first time? He is 75 years old, 75. His wife, Sarai, is 65 years old. And so they're old. Now, if, by the way, if you're 65 and over, let me just say, let me, let me rephrase what I just said, all right? They're wise and mature is what they are, all right? They're old, all right? They're really old. And, and, and this, is, this is the crazy thing. It's, it's almost like a sick joke. God comes to Abram and he tells him, I'm, I'm going to bless the whole world through one person. And he says, and it's gonna be you. And he comes to a man who doesn't know God. He comes to a man who he and his wife can't have children and they are past the age of childbearing. And what I want you to notice, this is just so important, is that there is a seemingly impossible gap between what God promises and between what Abraham's current circumstances are. There is what seems to be an insurmountable distance between what God said and between what Abraham sees. And here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. Look what verse four says. Verse four says this. So Abram went. Abram went. And the Bible says, just like the Lord had told him. Now, this is just nuts. God comes to Abram. They've had no previous interactions. He reveals himself. I'm, I'm God. And he says, and I want you to go. Go where? I'm not telling you. I just want you to leave everything. But if you do, I will, I will, I will, I will. Bless, 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 bless. That's what's gonna happen. And the Bible says Abraham's like, all right. And he goes. And he goes. You know, in the Hebrew language, the word went that's used here is actually the word walked. That's what it says. Abraham walked. And I don't know if you've ever heard, maybe you guys have heard the phrase before, walk by faith. Have you ever heard that? It's actually a phrase that's used in the scripture. And uh, most commentators believe that when it says walk by faith, it's referring back to Abram. Because what do you see? You see that Abraham chose to walk. Now, I want you to notice that what we see in this passage is in stark opposition to what we read last week. If you were here last week, you might remember, God looked at the first humans, Adam and Eve, and he said, I want you to trust me. I'm not gonna tell you why, but I want you to trust me. I want you to have faith. And the Bible says that the first humans chose to disobey God and they decided to define good on their own terms. Abram, you see a different scenario. God says, I want you to trust me. I'm not gonna explain to you why, but I want you to trust me. And the Bible says that Abraham said, okay. And he began to walk. Now, this right here is so important. And the reason it's so important is because it's telling us God's part is that God is making a promise. But what is Abram's part? What is our part? And this is it. It's faith. It's faith. In fact, that's exactly what the book of Hebrews is going to say. In the, New, in the New Testament of the Bible, it looks back at Genesis chapter 12. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, by faith... Abraham, when he was called to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
And so the Bible's gonna tell us what is it that prompted Abram to do this? It was faith. It was faith. Now, here's, here's the thing. We live in a society today where the word faith is so vague and overused and so overgeneralized that when someone says, I'm a person of faith, it can mean just about anything you want it to mean. When someone says, you just gotta have faith, or I am a person of faith, or I have deep faith, that can mean just about anything you want it to mean. But can I tell you that in the Bible, faith is so much more specific than that. In fact, maybe for the sake of clarity, let me give you a definition of what biblical faith is. I think this is a very clear definition, especially in light of what we just read in Genesis chapter 12. Here's a good definition. What is faith? Faith is trusting and obeying. So it's, it's both belief and action. It's not just an intellectual assent. It involves acting. It is trusting and obeying God in the gap, in the gap between his promises and between your circumstances. So what is faith? Here's what it, I think if you're looking for a clear definition, here's what it is. It is I am trusting and I am obeying God in the gap between what he said, what his promises are, and what my current circumstance and what my current reality is. And I'm choosing to live in light and to trust and obey his promises even more than my feelings and even more than the facts of the scenario that are in front of me right now. So if you think about it this way, here's what faith is. Faith is trusting God in this gap. It's obeying him and it's living in light of his promises. At any given time, our circumstances are going to be saying one thing to us. They're gonna be saying one thing. There's gonna be a fact pattern. There's gonna be feelings that come along with our present circumstances. And at any time, God's promises are gonna be telling us a totally different thing. Now, this is just true for every single one of us. There are gonna be times when God's promises are saying something that seem like they are so far from our current circumstances. And what's faith? Here's what faith is. It's I'm choosing to believe God's promises, even over my circumstances. I am trusting and obeying God on what he said. And I'm walking in light of that as opposed to what I feel and what I see. I'm gonna follow him in that. That's what faith is. And the Bible says Abraham went. He started to walk in light of the promise that God gave him. Now, here's the thing. We read this, and I think for some of us, we're like, man, whew, Abraham, that guy, wow, what an incredible guy. What a guy, what a hero. No wonder God picked Abraham. Look at how bold, look at how courageous he was. I could never be like that. I could never do what Abraham did. This guy is a stud muffin. That's what you might be thinking when you read about that, right? And let me just tell you, uh, hold on for a second, because every time you and I try to make Abraham a hero, the Bible doesn't let us. It won't let us. Because what you're gonna find out is that while it's true that Abraham is a man of incredible faith, he is also a man who is incredibly flawed. Incredibly flawed. In fact, I'll just show you one example. So right here in chapter 12, we look at Abraham, we're like, dude, how crazy. He trusted God and he went, what a hero. But then I want you to notice, just look down at verse 10, just six verses after this, six verses. Look what the Bible says about Abraham. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he looked at his wife, Sarah, and he said, I know what a beautiful woman you are. All right, so let me tell you what's going on. So Abram, the man of faith, steps out and trusts God. He says, God, I believe you. You're gonna make me into a land. You're gonna give me a nation. You're gonna make me a blessing. I believe you. He starts to walk. In verse 10, there's a famine. He's about to go into Egypt, which is a very powerful place. And before he goes into Egypt, he looks at his wife and he says to her, he says to her, 
I know what a beautiful woman you are. And Sarai was probably like, oh, Abby Poo, you say the nicest things. <laughs> but wait for it because he finishes and look what he says next. He says, when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. To which he was probably thinking, and I am. But look what he says next. But then they're going to want to kill me because you're so beautiful and they're going to want to let you live and they're going to kill me. So say that you're my sister. Tell them you're my sister so that I'll be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared. So do you notice this, this man who just a couple of verses had incredible faith, now all of a sudden he's just got incredible fear and he's like, they're going to kill me and notice how selfish he is. They're going to kill me. I want to be treated well. I want my life to be spared. And so guess what happens? They go into Egypt and immediately when they walk in, the Bible says the Egyptians see Sarah. And mind you, Sarah is 65 years old. And the Bible says the Egyptians look at her and they're like, Dang, she's hot. She must have been a good-looking lady. And, uh, and the Bible says that, that Abraham's like, she's my sister. And Pharaoh takes her into his palace because he wants to make her his wife. And the Bible says Abraham doesn't stop it. Instead, Pharaoh pays him and makes him rich. And it's not until the Lord intervenes. I mean, Abraham was just about to let it go. It wasn't until the Lord intervened that he saved Abraham. Here's what I'm saying. The dude is flawed. Very, he sold his wife. He sold his wife. And not only once in this story, he sells her twice, if you read it. Some of you are like, you know, I'm having some marriage problems. You didn't sell your wife twice, all right? <laughs> you're doing better than Abraham did. I'm just saying, anytime you're like, wow, look at this incredible man of faith, you're like, dude, he is so jacked up just like the rest of us are. It's a messed up guy. And I'll tell you what's incredible is you're gonna see this pattern with Abraham. You're gonna see God is going to make a promise to him. He reasserts his promise three times. God promises Abraham in chapter 12, in chapter 15, and in chapter 17 of Genesis. And did you know every single time Abraham responds with incredible faith and it's followed up immediately with an incredible flaw? Abraham messes up. Sarah messes up. They both mess up. I'll tell you what's so interesting is you're going to see that it's not because Abraham and Sarah are such good people that God accepts them and shows favor to them. It's not because they just are like a cut above the rest that God somehow blesses them. That's not why. So here's the question. So why then? Why does God choose Abraham? Why does he choose Sarah? Why does he pick them? And why does he show what did they ever do to deserve God's favor? And can I tell you what it is? Can I tell you what it is? It actually might be a surprise to some of you. I'll actually show you. If you just go over just a couple of chapters in your Bible, go to Genesis 15, just a couple chapters over, and let me tell you what's going on. Even though this is only three chapters after Genesis chapter 12, this is 10 years, 10 years have elapsed. And so Abraham, when you get to Genesis 15, he is now 75, or I'm sorry, he's now 85 years old. His wife is now 75 years old. And now it's 10 years later. Listen, 10 years later, and they still have no child and they still have no land. God made a promise to them. They've seen none of it, absolutely none of it. And the Bible says in Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham and he reaffirms. He says, Abraham, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And Abraham this time looks at God and he says, God, I just, I just don't see how, how it's gonna happen. Like it's been 10 years since you've promised this and we are past the age of childbearing. We, I mean, we, God, I just, I just, how do I know? How do I know you're gonna fulfill this promise? It seems so impossible. 
And what God does next is so spectacular. I want you to notice in verse five. God took Abram outside and he said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring. So this is kind of crazy. Abram's like, God's like, I promise you I'm gonna make you into a nation. And Abram's like, God, I just, I don't know how it's possible. I just can't, I can't see it. It's so outside of the realm of possibility. It's so outside of the realm of what, what is even logically possible. And God says, Abram, go outside. So Abram's like, all right. He goes outside and he's like, I want you to look up, look up, look at the stars. And Abram's probably like, okay. And he looks up and God's like, count those. And he's probably like, I can't. I can't. And God's like, right. That's what your descendants are going to be like, man. Now, let me ask you a question. Okay, I've been thinking about this all week. Let me ask you this question. Why the object lesson? Why is God like, I want you to go outside and look at the stars? Because if God was simply trying to make the point, Abraham, you're going to have a lot of kids. He could have just said, Abraham, count to 100 billion now. And Abraham would have been like, I can't. And he would have been like, right, that's how many kids you're going to have. And he would have made his point. So why the object lesson? Why is he like, go outside and look at the stars? Can I tell you why I think, why I'm convinced that God did this? Have any of you ever been outside in a place where you can actually see the stars? Have any of you ever been in a place in the country? Not, I'm not talking about Northeast Ohio uh, where there's light pollution and there's cloud coverage like most of the year. I mean like out west or somewhere like that. Uh, I know for me, maybe the place that I could most clearly see the stars that I can remember is um, there was a point in my, t- my life where I was in Alaska, and I was there in the dead of the winter in the mountains, and I remember I went outside in the middle of the night and looked up at the sky, and it was, it was an absolutely spellbinding, awe-inspiring experience. Just look at the stars, and you know, it was one of those kind of things where you could see the Milky Way. Uh, this is not a picture I took, by the way. I just pulled this off of Google. But, but it, it was like this, you know? It was one of those moments where you look up, and if you've ever seen the stars that clear before, you know that it is, it is both awe-inspiring, and at the same time, it's slightly frightening. And it has this weird, mysterious effect to it where you can't help but contemplate bigger questions in life. And it, can't, it just fills you with a sense of wonder and a sense of awe. Why did God take Abram outside? Why did he say, look at the stars? Can I tell you why I think he did this? I think the reason is because God is not just telling Abraham, Abraham, you're gonna have a bunch of kids. I think God is also reminding Abraham who he's dealing with. I think God says, "Um, Abram, you wanna know how you're gonna have a kid? Go outside, look up there. I just wanna remind you that I made the universe there, there is so much that's happening up there that is beyond your comprehension. There's so much inner workings. There's so, much, there's so many big things that are so complex that you know nothing about. I'm pretty sure I can take care of the kid thing. I made the stars. And listen, I just wanna tell you, just, just for you and I, I, I think you know, Abraham, this is his story, but it's also our story. And can I just tell you, God has made promises to you and to me. God has made promises to us. 
And at times, quite honestly, his promises are gonna seem amazing. They're gonna seem unbelievable. They're gonna even seem impossible. Some of the things that God has promised us are gonna seem outside of the realm of our logic and understanding. But I just wanna remind you that the same God who made those promises is the God who made the stars. He can do it. He can do it. And now watch this next thing. This is so staggering to me. Look at verse six. One of the most quoted verses you'll see throughout the New Testament. It says, Abram believed the Lord. He believed him and God credited it to him as righteousness. This this is just absolutely mind-blowing to me. The Bible says that Abraham you see a bold, seemingly irrational, radical level of trust. God says, go outside and look at the stars. And he does. And he's like, count them. He's like, I can't. He's like, that's what you're going to, you're gonna, your descendants are going to be like that. And Abraham's like, deal. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you can do it. And, and I'm just telling you, this is faith. Faith is about placing myself in a position of trust, God, I trust you that the one who is promising to me is trustworthy and he can do it. And that's what God is calling us into and that's how Abraham responds. And here's what's amazing and so absolutely staggering is the Bible says that after the Lord, after he believes the Lord, the Bible says that God credits it to Abraham as righteousness. Do you guys know what righteousness means? The word righteous means right relationship. In other words, God looks at this severely flawed person, totally jacked up guy, tried to sell his wife twice. And he looks at this guy and he says, you're righteous. I'm declaring you right. We are in a right relationship with each other. Now, why? Why is God declaring him righteous? Is it because Abraham's such a good guy? No, he's not a good guy. Is it because Abraham is just a cut above the rest and he's more worthy, he's more worthy to be blessed than any other person? No. Why is it? It's because he believed. He believed the Lord and the Lord said, that's what I want. If you believe me, that's what makes us right. That's what makes us right. This is a posture of trust. Abraham is placing himself in a position where he's saying, God, I trust your generosity and I trust your promises. And here's what I believe. The fundamental thing that God wants from you, the fundamental thing that God wants from us is he wants our trust. He wants us to put ourselves in a place where we trust his promises and we trust his radical generosity. And the Bible says that when we do that, God will declare us righteous. It's what makes us right. He says, you give me your faith and I'll give you my promises. And let me just tell you something. This equation right here, this equation, This transaction, this promise that's right here is not just for Abraham. This is an everlasting covenant. And this same transaction is for you. It's for you. Because here's what the Bible's gonna say. God is going to eventually answer his promise to Abraham because he always does. And Abraham's not even gonna have his first child till he's 100 years old, 15 years after this, till he has his first child. And the Bible's gonna say that his child is gonna have a bunch of kids, they're gonna have a bunch of kids, and eventually he's gonna have an entire nation. The nation of Israel is gonna come from Abraham's line. And the Bible's gonna tell us that the nation of Israel is gonna come, and out of the nation of Israel, one day is gonna be born a Jewish man who is Jesus Christ. 
And the Bible says that through Jesus' life and then his death and his burial and his resurrection, the whole world, you and I included, on the other side of the earth in Medina, Ohio, will be blessed, will be blessed. I'll tell you what's amazing. The book of Galatians says this. It says, this is the New Testament. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. How are we made children of Abraham when we have faith? Because he's the father of faith. But then look what it says. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's the whole world, by faith. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the Bible's gonna tell us this promise is for you and I too. Romans 4 puts it this way. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And look what it says next. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, for us too. Same transaction. It is by faith that we're credited as righteousness to God whom will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead. So listen, here's the question. How is a person saved? If you're a person who's investigating Jesus and you're wondering what Christianity is about, how is a person saved? How is a person made right with God? Can I tell you how? It's not because you're a great person. It's not because of church attendance. It's not because you don't smoke, drink, or chew or go with girls who do. That's not why. What is it that makes you right with God? What is it that makes you right with God? Here it is. When you believe in him, when you put your faith in him, when you live in light of his promises, the Bible says you give him your belief, you give him your faith, and God will give you righteousness. You'll be made right before him. A posture of faith is so important because a posture of faith puts us in the weak position and it puts God in the strong position. So many times we wanna be strong. We want it to be about how good we are or how well we do, but the Bible's like, no, it's about how good God is and it's about how strong he is. And all we have to do is give him our faith trust him and walk in light of his promises. And this is how you become a Christian. And this is how you grow as a Christian. And did you know, did you know that like Abraham, that God has made promises to you? Did you know that? And the promise he made for you might not be to make you into a nation, but can I tell you some of the promises that God has given you? In fact, 1 Peter is gonna tell us God has given us very great and precious promises. The Bible's gonna tell us that God has given us incredible promises to help us navigate through our life. Do you know any of those? Let me just give you a handful. There's a bunch in the New Testament, but let me just give you a handful of them. Did you know, for example, that God promises to you? Did you know he promised to you? He promised to you that salvation will come to all those who believe in his son. Did you know that? The Bible says that if you put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for you, that you will be saved, you will be made right, and you will have eternal life. I know for some of us, that sounds so outside of the realm of our logic and our understanding. It's a promise that God has made to you. Do you know the Bible promises that God is gonna work out all things for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose? Do you know that? That no matter how painful, how difficult the thing that you're going through right now is, no matter how seemingly hopeless it is, the Bible says that if you have faith in God in the midst of that circumstance, there is nothing that is outside of his control to use for your good and for his purposes. And he will, and he promised he would. You know, the Bible says that God promises to comfort us in our trials. And then he tells us that he wants to use that comfort that he gives us in our trials to help other people and to bless them, that we can share the comfort that he's given us. 
Do you know the Bible promises resurrection? How about that? That's way outside of any of our box of thinking. The Bible promises a physical, bodily resurrection for those who follow Christ. The Bible promises that God's gonna finish the work that he started. And this, this, these are just a handful of the things that God has promised us. And what is faith? Here's what faith is. Faith is trusting and obeying God in the gap between what he said and the circumstances that I face. That's what it is. I'm trusting and I'm obeying God in the midst, in between the promises that he's made and the circumstance that I see. So here's my question to you today. What are your circumstances? What's the situation you find yourself in today? And what are the promises that God has made to you? And what does it mean for you to walk in faith in the gap? And maybe there's, there's seemingly an impossible distance between what you're facing right now and what God has promised to you. But will you choose to live in light of your feelings and the facts of your circumstances or will you, live, will you choose to live in light of God's promises? This is what it means to walk in faith. This is what it means. I love the way Pastor Jeff puts it. Pastor Jeff is the senior pastor of Grace Church. Some of you might know him. And I love, I love what he said. He said, faith, this is what faith is. He said, faith is in the light of God's promises, it is giving God my predetermined yes in between. That God has given us these promises and so now I'm giving God my predetermined yes. Yes. Before you even ask, the answer is yes. Blank check, it's yours. You see this with Abram. Go, get out, get out of your country, leave your family, leave everything, okay. Yes, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And I think faith oftentimes is this idea we are giving God, we're giving God our predetermined yes. Stay, I, I, I know um, as a pastor, I, I get a chance to talk to a lot of people who are investigating Jesus. And one of the questions I get fairly often is people will say, you know, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian, um, I'm kind of on the fence about it. And they'll say, but if I, if I give my life to following Jesus, does that mean that I'm gonna have to give up X? Or does that mean I'm gonna have to start doing whatever? Does that mean I'm gonna leave this, this type of lifestyle? And I'll tell you what, when I was first in ministry, I used to make a big mistake. And I used to try to answer them. And I used to say, um, well, you know, Christians do this, but they don't do that. And Christians believe this, but we don't believe that. And, and you can keep doing that, but you can't keep doing this. And I realized that was a really big mistake because here's the truth. Anytime we look at God and say, listen, I'll follow you, but only if it makes sense and it fits in the agenda of my life, you're not answering the call. The call is one of faith. Will you go? Where? I'll tell you later. Will you follow? Well, it's gotta match my agenda. No. Christianity is an entirely new agenda altogether. Well, is Christianity gonna enrich my life? Christianity is an entirely different kind of life. God is calling you into something different. Listen, Abram, God comes to Abram and he says, uh, go. And Abram says, where? And God says, I'll show you later. Just, just, just walk. And later, God's gonna come and say, I'll give you a son. And Abraham's gonna say, how? And God's gonna say, I'll show you later. I just want you to trust me. And then finally, in Genesis 22, God's gonna come and he's gonna say to Abram, go to the top of the mountain and I want you to give up your son. And Abraham's gonna say, why? And God's gonna say, I'll tell you later, just climb. And can I tell you that this right here is a great summary of what it means to be a Christian. It's what it is. Go, where? I'll tell you later, but will you trust me? Will you give me your predetermined yes? Faith is not static. Faith is dynamic. 
It is a walk. It is a climb. Quite honestly, sometimes it's a crawl. But can I just tell you that God's great work project that he wants to accomplish in and through you is that he wants to build your faith. That's what he's after. Because if you trust him, if you trust him, the Bible says that he will credit that to you, his righteousness. I'm gonna ask uh, Seth and Norm to make their way up here. And um, in a minute, they're gonna sing kind of a, a song, a new song for us that I think is really significant in light of what we just read. But listen, I know for some of, for some of us in the room, this uh, maybe for you confronts you right where you're at, hits you right where you're at. And I feel like, you know, no matter where you are in the faith spectrum, maybe you're investigating Jesus or maybe you're already a Christ follower, I think the question it causes all of us to ask is simply this. Will you trust God? Will you trust him? Look, come on. How far are you gonna take this Jesus thing? Like, I mean, for real. Like, how far are you gonna take it? Will you give him your predetermined yes? Will you? For some of you, maybe you've been on the fence. Maybe you've been waffling. Maybe you've been like, I don't know. I'm just kind of waiting for all these questions to be answered. Can I just tell you, if you're waiting for all your questions to be answered, that's not how this works. God says, come. And, And if you will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. All my promises are yours if you would just give me your trust. Will you give him your predetermined yes? Is there a place right now where you're holding back? What are your circumstances? Maybe for you, you're listening to your circumstances more than you're listening to your God. What did he say to you? And what does it look like to live in light of those things? Seth and Norm are gonna play a song that I think is just so, so uh, relevant to the topic. It's actually a song about Abraham. And I just wanna encourage you, I kinda want you to, if you would, just take some time to stay in your seats, listen to the lyrics and, and read the lyrics on the screen. Maybe make it a prayer for yourself. Make it a prayer for what you're, what you're facing right now. And maybe for some of you, for the first time, you wanna give over your predetermined yes to God for the first time. God, wherever you want me to go, I'm in. Blank check, it's yours. I encourage you to do that as we listen to this song together.